Previously on Normalized Podcast. Being the Command Sergeant Major of the United States Army National Guard, the first African American is a far cry from being on the super team. I can tell you that much. <laughs> what is the super team? That's the question you want to know. I know that. When I first got into sixth grade, I spent about five months in what I would call regular classes before all of a sudden I ended up in a another class with a special group of people and the teacher came in and said we're all a part of the super team right and a lot of the kids would run through the hall you know how kids are they pick on each other and they say hi you on the super team and I thought you know being like a superhero super team or something cool like we were the super smart kids only to find out uh, they considered us to be the slower kids I just didn't fit in I basically outcast myself on purpose. So as much as I ashamed to admit it, I, I lost out on a lot of my childhood because I was too cool for those guys or for that group or for whatever that was. Secretly in the back of my head, um, I'm saying to myself, man, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have been a part of that. I wish I was in that. And so I realized that I basically outcast myself. Um, although. I just knew there was something more. You know, I knew there was something more, but at the same time, it's growing up, and I should have just grew up. 14 years into my military career, I was at the pinnacle of life, if, as I would say it. I was a young first sergeant, that's an E-8, and, uh, and stationed in Hawaii, had my own company of, of uh, troops, you know, uh, one child, debt-free. Uh, I had given my life to the Army and really to the military. And as I tell people, I was no longer drinking the Kool-Aid. I was making the Kool-Aid. Life was at the top. Um, I, was, I was really good at what I did. And then everything then came crashing down. Or as I say, my puzzle just fell apart. My mother passed away at that time. Um, um, and so when that happened, I had just taken a thousand pieces of a puzzle and put together into the, this beautiful picture of who I was, who I represented, and how great I was doing in life. And then when she passed away, that just, the whole thing crumbled. Uh, I, recall, I recall a conversation with my brother. Um, he was military as well, too. He was in the Air Force. And, and he and I both felt that we had given so much to the military that we had overlooked a basic fundamental, which was family. And, you know, you can't have that back because she had passed away. But it, it taught me such a such a valuable lesson about family and the balance of, you know, your passion of work and your passion of family. So I've always lived since then, since then with a model of family first. <clears throat> After my mother passed away, um, the only way I could really get back on track in the military and mind you, I spent about two weeks home. I pretty much checked out. I was stationed in Hawaii. I flew home. Um, we had a week with my mother. She was doing well. And then uh, complications in the surgery, actually uh, putting a pacemaker in, they punctured her lung. And so, you know, insult the injury. We were like just super blown away and crushed because she was on a, on a road to recovery. And after all that happened, I, I mean, I lost, I lost everything. I, I, motivation to serve, my motivation to lead 
<clears throat> I didn't want to go back to Hawaii, so my uh, commander at the time, he told me to take as much time as I needed. And that really wasn't getting me anywhere because all we ended up doing was drinking, trying to drink away the sorrow. At some point, I had to, you know how they say, get back on the horse and ride again. So I went back to Hawaii, and the saving grace for me was running. I literally started running. I uh, ran so much that uh, I ran a 5K race there in Hawaii and completely checked out while I was running, only to get to the finish line, and the crowd was cheering for me because I won the race. Didn't even know I won the race. Uh, that was just uh, something. But I realized that whole time I was just thinking about mom and then thinking about life and then thinking about family and thinking about how to how to keep all this together. And so I kept running. Ran so much that I'm 13 marathons later, still running. So my psychiatrist, because you know there's a couple of people you always got to have in your life, and one of those is a shrink. <laughs> So my, when I told my psychiatrist a story and told about my running, she said, oh, my God, you're running from your mother's death. And I never really thought about that. But truth of the matter is, that's exactly what I've been doing. And it, it actually has been working for me. So it is my therapy, if you will. And I will admit, you know, there was a point when I hated the military. And my running has been the pressure point, if you will, to relieve some of that pain and get me back on track. What is good? What is good, everybody? One last time for the decade. One last time for 2019. One last time for uh, season three. Welcome, everybody, to the Normalized Podcast. I am your host, CJ, and as always, I thank you so much for your time and attention. NormalizePodcast.com is where you can find all the latest episodes. Catch yourself up on season three, which is concluded here. Uh, this episode's titled Full Circle. Vic is coming back for his third and final episode. And big shout out to everybody this year who's come along for this journey. Amanda, Jay, and Jake, I couldn't have done this year without you. Uh, this was different from the first two seasons. And it's been really exciting. It's taught me a lot about myself and Hopefully you guys have learned a lot about yourselves and you, the listeners. Hopefully you got a chance to experience something different and really got a chance to reflect on your lives. So this has been the decade of my 30s. And last decade, the decade of my 20s was more of one of just pain, struggling, um, just confusion, debauchery. And I can't lie, that definitely bled into this decade. Now, this decade has been kind of the opposite of the previous one because, you know, I got married, I had kids. And through a lot more pain, I got the opportunity to live through horrible experiences and learn a lot about myself. I had a lot of support get me through these uh, horrible trying times. And, and here we are now. I've been able to produce this podcast and it's been a great, great way to end this journey. Season four is coming up uh, in 2020. It's going to be going back to basics. It's going to be the things, the wild and crazy things that have happened to me over this past year. And wild and crazy isn't like wild and crazy from season one. Wild and crazy is kind of like, well, there's a little bit of that, but it's also about how I've been able to overcome um, what I've learned and about what this podcast has prepared me for outside the podcast world and doing bigger, better things. I'll say bigger, better things, but different things. Uh, Dream chasing. This podcast has really taught me how to be patient, to be introspective, uh, to be humble, to want to help others. Kind of always knew to do that, but it's just been a little different. And so this podcast has taught me a lot, and I'm really excited to bring it back. 
uh, back to you, the, the listeners, the people who've supported me, the, the people who, quite honestly, without you, um, I wouldn't have been able to do this. I mean, I know that people keep coming back to listen to the show. I can check on that. And it's such a humbling experience. And again, I can't express enough gratitude and, and express enough gratefulness to all the listeners and supporters out there. And for this final episode, I'm going to let Vic bring his life full circle, his journey uh, of becoming normal to full circle. He's now, you know, an elected official in Northern Virginia, and it's been a wild ride for him. And I'm not going to get in the way of him explaining that. I'm going to let him do that. So for you, the listener, hey, this is New Year's. Have a wonderful New Year's. Hug your family. Tell your family you love them. Um, Thank you for everything. As always, as always, I'm going to catch you on the flip side. Happy New Year. I'm on? How you doing, Vic? Man, I'm doing good, man. So it's good to see you, baby. We're back at it again on this third round. I want to apologize for holding you up. You know, it's good to be back, man. It's been a busy, um, what, eight months in my new journey. But let's talk about how we got to my new journey, shall we? Let's do it. All right. You know, this all started, you know, we talked a lot about my military career and how it changed my world. Um, let's fast forward 23 years, three months. 28 days to the end of it all, uh, my retirement ceremony. Uh, so at the end of my career, uh, which was April 11th, 2011, actually April 1st, 2009, my retirement freed, freed up three promotions for three uh, E8s to become E9s, which is that sergeant major rank we were talking about. So it was a very good day for me because I've always been about the troops and I've always been about forward progression. And so me making that step to leave the military created three vacancies for folks to step into the spotlight that I was in. Maybe not at, at the highest level, but an E9 is an E9 is an E9, as we always say. So, uh, But the ceremony. So when I had my retirement ceremony, I had no idea what that was going to be like. Most people get in the military and they just leave after 20 years. They don't want to be a part of, of the tradition of having a ceremony, allowing their families to be a part of their journey, which I think is huge. And for those soldiers, civilians, friends, leaders, all to be a part uh, last day exiting the, the military, stepping out that door, if you will. But I, I've always been big in tradition, so I wanted to do this. And I had no idea the magnitude of what that was going to be. So my retirement ceremony was actually held at the uh, National Guard Association um, headquarters down in D.C., and it was standing room only. So the room, the Hall of Flags, I think that's what it's called, probably seats about 200 people, and I had all, all seats filled, Back walls lined up, uh, side walls lined up, so it was a very full uh, room, which was very humbling for me to know that that many people wanted to show up to be a part of my, you know, retirement ceremony or exit strategy out of the military. And uh, so the words that were said, all of the people that spoke, the senior leadership that showed up uh, was just incredible. So it really, it really showed me my life over the last 23 years and the impact that I had on so many lives and the impact that so many lives had on me, creating the man that I am today and the man that I was at that moment coming out. Now, the man that, that I was, that that man was a leader, very confident, always about the people, always wanting to make the people better, uh, could walk into a room, always feeling the presence of the room. However, all of that changed when I got out of the military because um, when you get out of the military, it's, it's almost like leaving your your home for the first time as a young man. So it's what I what do I want to be when I grow up? Literally feeling like I got to go go find my life again. And so, what do you do? You want to find the highest paying job, not necessarily looking for 
all of that I had in the military that uh, that identified me, the passion I had for the job, the love I had for it. I didn't know what that was coming out, so I was just looking for a job, basically. And that paid well. And so I'm chasing the money. You know how it's just saying domino, all money ain't good money. So I run into this one company. You know, they paid me well, six figures. So, And I didn't have to do a lot of work, so I enjoyed that. You know, I mean, come on, let's just let's face it. It's reality, okay? I got a great paying job, and I don't have to do a lot of work. That sounds like the American dream to me. But really, if you step back and look at the man I just told you I was coming out of the military, it was leadership-driven. So while I'm chasing all this money, I'm not in a good place because it's not leadership. And the people that I work for and my one particular boss are terrible, terrible. And I, I remember I used to always tell my troops, if you're not happy doing this, let's find something that makes you happy, all right? Because there's no way you need to come to work as a disgruntled employee. Bottom line, that's all we are. So I found myself quickly becoming that person, a disgruntled employee, and it was not good. I mean, I had some evil thoughts about what I wanted to do to my boss because of how just the boldness of how, to, how, you're, how you're treated. And then I find out that many employees are treated that way. A lot of folks w- refuse to leave the organization because, again, they're making good money and it pays the bills. And so they, that's how they take care of their families and raise their families and keep the cars they have and a nice house they have. Me, fortunately, because I've done over 20 years of military, I have an uncle who pays me every month. That's my retirement check. So at least I had something to fall back on so I didn't have to, you know, sit in this um, rut, if you will, because I need this paycheck, which was miserable. And I refused to do miserable. So I walked. I walked out. Prior to walking out, I remember my brother, my uh, second oldest brother, Reggie, telling me, he said, man, Vic, you're not good in corporate. He said, you would do far better as a public servant because that's where your passion is. You care about the people. And I never thought, I never, never thought about what he was saying until that day where I had to walk out of uh, this this poorly managed uh, organization. I'll say. Um, so, what do I do? I, I go and become a volunteer firefighter. Actually, I was a volunteer firefighter at the same time that I was working in this organization. But I really put emphasis in that, and it was good for me because it wasn't about the money. It was about the love of helping people, and really. I, helping my organization, the fire department, be better than what they were. And leadership is tricky because the, the, the saying of action speaks louder than words. When I got there, I realized I don't have to do a lot of talking about what I've done in the military. I just need to you know, show them what it looks like. And we've done well in that, in, in the fire department, to the point that I was elected to the uh, board of directors. And at, on the board of directors, it kind of, you know, you lead the organization. So there's a team of us, and we basically run a volunteer fire department. So it was really cool. So the answer, decision, all that stuff was made by a room of us, and people people trusted me and felt comfortable with me being in that position. And so I did. I, I'm still doing that today, to tell you the truth, but let's just talk about eight years of doing that and and what that really meant for me. Uh, I, I took over the public education program. I started working in the, in the community, all the stuff that just put my life in order. Around this, because there's no money in that, I did start a leadership company called Echo 9 Solution. Uh, me and a, and a retired sergeant major um, really got into leadership because that's what we're good at. So why not uh, create a company around something that you we already have passion for? So that put my life in order. So instead of being a disgruntled employee, I became a contributor to society. <laughs> so that's a really good feeling. You know, everything's falling in line here. So being back in the community uh, as, a, as a community servant, as a, a volunteer firefighter, really helped me 
um, get back to who I am. And I, I knew who I was leaving the military. I, I want to say I got lost in that sauce of chasing dollars and found my way again by leaving that and, and, and identifying who I was. So I'm happy to, that I got back to me and I got back to the community and I, I was able to give more in the community, which uh, helped me comfortably be the, the man that I've always uh, been since the Army. Everything was just working well. And what happens with that is the visibility happens. And people start seeing you. You don't have to go sell yourself. People actually start noticing what you're doing. And what I was doing there really created an avenue for me that I, I, I did not see coming. But let me just say this before I get there. So at the time that I was doing, I was finding my, my way and things fall in line, this is what I like to call a God wing. So a lot of my troops came back to me. The one young lady, she pointed out, you should write a book about 10 things in your life or, or 10 things that you've done. Between what she told me and what my troops are asking for, like how were you successful in the military? How did you become so successful? What was the key ingredients to what you did? Can you give us something to follow in our lives? So I put the two together and I came up with angry leadership, you know, because that's my name and leadership is important to me. And it's not because I was angry at leadership, as most people think, but it's just my name. So anyway, I thought about, 10 principles she asked me about and and them wanting me to, wanting to hear my leadership story of how I came through the military but I could only come up with seven so it's basically uh, angry leadership seven guiding principles of leadership in that I just identified um, seven key points that I felt made me successful in the military and you know I, I just quickly tell you those seven principles I came up with was one you got to have a foundation two Reinforced words. I've always talked about, you know, those saying, I think you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Sticks and stones when I break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But positive words of influence really go a long way. So uh, when you can positively influence someone with words, um, I think that that goes a long way. And it helped for me. And I got a lot of examples and stories I can tell about general officers and people in my life who, who talked to me and said some things that really resonated with me. The other one is mentors. Big thing there. Key is in life, you got to have mentors. I have Many still to this day, um, new mentors, old mentors, just mentors, period. And then fitness. I know how does that fit in principles. I just think being in shape um, is, a, is a principle that it's a value. It's something that you got to do. And so fitness to me has helped, helped me tremendously, especially after my mother passed away. I, be, I picked up running, and running was therapeutic for me to the point that my um, psychiatrist had told me I was running from my mother's uh, death, which could be true, but it's it's benefited me greatly um, in doing so, and so I continue to run today. So fitness is very important to me. Uh, tenacity, have the ability to stand up for what you know is right. Uh, preparation, always preparing for the, that next thing. Um, and we can, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next thing for me. But you got to be prepared for it. Um, and then self-evaluation. I always uh, try to evaluate myself every month, every quarter, and Inside of that, the tough evaluation that you want to, that I do is I ask others how I'm doing. And I, and, I, and I want the real truth. A lot of people don't want to face the truth of someone telling them something that they don't want to hear. But I think for me to be better, um, I can't always uh, think about, you know, um, how I am. Because, because sometimes we kid ourselves and we, we say that we're the best and we're really not. But others, are, if, as long as they're telling you the truth, it's something to work on. And it's not a brutal, mean truth. It's just to be honest about some of the things that you could do better in your life. And so I always welcome that. And that that's been a secret for me. Um, so, so there they are. 
Yeah, self-evaluation, preparation, tenacity, fitness, mentors, reinforcing words, and foundation. And so from that book, um, I really learned a lot about the experience of just writing my story and sharing that. And that helped really put a kind of like the icing on the cake of post-military life and um, being in the fire department and uh, being a community servant and, um, you know, having a, having a leadership company and just really kind of identifying who I am the overall in my life uh, from birth to military to post-military life and to really just li- just living, just identifying myself. Here we sit today in 2019, and... Um, I had this um, opportunity, We, you know, politics. Let's just talk about it, politics. I don't even know how, how to get to this story because it's kind of a wild story. But um, so currently today I'm the um, I'm on a Prince William County Board of County Supervisors, and I'm actually, the, uh, once again, the first African-American to be on this board in, in the board's history of 150 years. Now, how did that happen? Uh, we can go back to everything that's happened in my life and and all the opportunities I've had. And I talked about luck and timing, I think, on one of the episodes, how you prepare yourself for these opportunities. But luck is a short list of people who are prepared for it. Uh, and I think and the, and the same holds true here. I've, I've done the things in a short amount of time uh, since I retired military in 2011 uh, to prepare myself to have this opportunity uh, present itself to me. And so I find myself now... Um, as a, as a politician on this board of county supervisors, as a supervisor representing uh, one of the districts. It's been an interesting ride because I, I came in on a special election, and that meant I had to run four campaigns to, to get here, or three, and then four for the general election. But uh, in that, people got uh, to see me. And so the interesting part about all of that is that the the package you present to the people to run for these positions of your background, your story, who you are, and why you, you why why you feel you're the one to be in this position, is the story of my life because it read so well and it almost is a fairy tale story. But but I know it's true, and I know all the, all of the things in that are things that I've done, and they prepared me for for once again this opportunity to be in another leadership role. And you know I just think leadership um, if you're in your passion. Your passion follows you. I couldn't have written this script, you know, any better. It's not something that I uh, sought after. You know, I didn't design my life to be in this moment. But yet everything in my life that I've done have prepared me for this opportunity. And the write-up just just clearly uh, says it all. But there are challenges in that because there are those who don't necessarily know who you are and they kind of want to paint your own story, if you will. And so... You know, you have to show people the the person that you really are. If I could leave you with any, any one thing about this whole process called life and you identifying your passion is you got to be true to yourself even when others want to change the narrative on you. Uh, my narrative has been been written. Uh, I'm very comfortable now. When, you, when I speak to who I am, I know who I am, and I know uh, what I do best, and I know my, my strengths. I even know my weaknesses. I try to stay away from them because I know them very well. But others can't tell me that anymore. And so I find my, even in this position now, it's almost like doing it all over again. I have to re, re-show the world who I am. The military knew that, and at the end of my career, it showed in the people that uh, came out. 
right now, people don't see that now because I've got to present that to the world. So I think I've done well in the last eight months. And so now January, I start a brand new four-year term, and I'm excited about that. Now, let's talk about that young man seen from Altamont Springs, Florida, who had no idea who he'd become, but had, had every hope and dream and vision of being someone who's very comfortable in his life and someone who, who's made a difference. I can tell you today, I am very proud of my life. I've had some challenges, some ups and some downs. I'm going to continue to go through those. But where I am today is, uh, is, is an honor. I'm very honored. And I'm privileged. And I know I got to still show a lot of folks the man that I am. But, hey, I'm up for that challenge because I've been prepared for this. I don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring or what 10 years from now is going to bring. But I'm excited about it, you know. I'm ready to take on the world. So with the musical madness We'll live by one of the two By one of the two so go on, fill your heart up with gladness. Not a moment too soon. Not a moment too soon. Normalizepodcast.com.